Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast, Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. Uh, today, we're going to continue our discussion from our last episode uh, about the most important factors to get a deal to a letter of intent. Not, not to close, but to get a deal to a letter of intent. And we're looking to correlate that you know, with the types of buyers out there. And the reason we're kind of focusing uh, a little bit on this, because I think it's important, you know, we, we founded Osage back in 2001. Uh, when we felt our clients, typically family close shell companies looking to sell needed a higher level of service. And from our perspective, our model has been for 22 years is that the best way for our clients to maximize value is through a auction process. And, and we've talked about this in prior episodes, but from our auction process, our job, our goal is to bring you as business owners, you know, multiple bidders um, to the table at the same time. So you can make an informed decision and who's the best buyer. That's the best fit for my company not only in price, but, you know, overall value. And we talk about value, we're talking about obviously price, but importantly, you know, the legacy of your firm. A lot of our clients have, you know, been in business 30, 40 years. Uh, it could be second, third generation. We have clients that have been in business over 50 years. We have a client we're bidding on now that's been around for over 120 years. So I think legacy is extremely important. The culture you created, it's important for you, you know, that the, a buyer coming in, has that appreciation for what you have established, not only inside your company, but also inside your community, right? It's important. You've been a big contributor, whether out there or behind the scenes within your community. And of course your people, right? You want your people got you are today. And it could be, you know, a lot of our clients have had multiple families of employees that work with them as well. You know, their, their sons and daughters and grandkids have come to work with the same company. This has been their second home. So it's important for you. So getting things to the letter of intent stage with a buyer pool is understanding what factors fall into that is, is critical because a lot of buyers are just not going to agree with your rationale behind it or how you've run your business. And they're going to lie. We like the business, but. Or, you know, we don't like the growth. So, like, so we talked about last episode, you know, the number one upside growth potential. Hey, we like the business, but we really haven't grown enough. We don't see the growth opportunity, so we're going to take a pass. Um, you know, your revenue consistency. You know, not revenue re readability or reoccurring, but just like, you know, you've had some bumps. You, you, you were able to pivot during COVID and you were able to do this with inventory buys or new products that related to COVID or you name it, you were able to sidestep some of these uh, supply chain issues that are bothering or, or inhibiting your, your competition from uh, providing product to the customers. Uh, a lot of buyers just have not seen enough traction post COVID to get comfortable. And then of course we talked about your EBITDA margins, right? You know, what were you historically, where are your margin? What's your margin growth profile? What's your margin profile look like? And there's specific buyers that have a specific margin profile. We're looking for companies doing a minimum of 3 million EBITDA and 20 million, uh, excuse me, 20% EBITDA margin. And if it's below that, they won't look at it. You got to remember the buyer pool out there is out there fishing. 
they're t- trying to talk to as many people as possible. And so they, and also they have other, you know, uh, Bankers like Osage that are you know send that are distributed they're sending them information so they're look they're weeding through multiple different deals around the country maybe around the world and if they find one thing they don't like they're not going to move forward so it's important to understand the bio profile when you're going through getting to a letter, letter of intent stage that's why you want to have a greater pool of buyers that you're talking to at the same time so that the ones that are serious about your business. We'll, we'll submit a letter of intent. They understand the growth, revenue, EBITDA. And then, you know, they look at overall, you know, the number four on the list is revenue, overall revenue growth, right? Not revenue consistency, but revenue growth. You know, we have clients that have had a nice run, but, you know, over the last three years have, you know, maybe grown 3%, 5%, you know, maybe 8%. And we have other clients that have gone from, you know, 10% to 15% to 20% growth. So what is attributing to that growth? You know, and digging deep into that. Uh, we talked a little bit about that on last episode. Um, is it because you just raised your prices? Because of inflation? It cost you a buck. You used to sell it for two. Now it costs you a buck 20, but you're selling it for three. Right? Supply demand. And how you equate that and provide the support behind that is going to be interesting because some buyers will drop off because they think, oh, you just grew your revenue based on price increases versus new customers, um, um, et cetera, new products, uh, opening new territories, you name it. So when I look back at your last 12 months, they're going to say, okay, your, your revenues have gone up. What, how much is price increase how much is, um, you know, new customers or new products into customers? And what end markets are you serving? Right? That's a big one right now. What end markets do you serve? Well, why do they ask that? Well, for them, they're looking at all these industry reports. And you could be in pharmaceuticals or supply some product in as pharmaceuticals. And, you know, that's a, that's a market that is growing substantially or you could be you know uh, 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 su- supplying into the builder trade right now you know home sales are off things are softening interest rates are, are way up so what's the sustain- sustainability sustainability of of that market over the next you know it's a cyclical market housing right even though we're short three what three to four million homes and uh, uh, condos and apartments in this country right now Builders aren't going to build, uh, you know, as much when, you know, their cost of materials is up, interest rates are up, and, you know, they're going to sit back and wait for the things to tie to turn, possibly. So, you know, how that revenue growth is is a, is a key factor um, and how you explain how we, how we present it to the buyer pool. Again, one buyer is no buyer. Certain buyers in and around your industry are going to understand how you're approaching it and buy into it and others aren't. It's okay. They're not the right kind of buyer for you in the first place because they're one, they're going to come in with a much lower valuation, most likely. And two, they're just really never going to get there because we're just talking about factors to get a deal to the letter of intent stage right now. Once you get to that letter of intent stage and go into due diligence, 
all these things we were just talking about, and there's a list here. We're gonna, you know, we'll try to get through as much as possible. But growth, revenue consistency, EBITDA, revenue, you know, and then overall revenue growth, right, are gonna be looked at very closely uh, by a number of consultants, professionals that the buyer is gonna hire to opine on, agree to, or not. I mean, we have a deal right now where, you know. Um, the uh, buyer is concerned about the technology of our client, that we haven't invested enough in technology. And they may not be the right buyer. We're talking to other people, of course, right? But their concern is, what's the, te- what's the R&D investment going to be over the next three to five years? Now, no one does what our this client does. They're producing, have produced throughout COVID, you know, sustainable increased revenues and increased profitability. But they're asking a question about, well, you need to make more investment in R&D. I said, well, of course we do. And we will moving forward. But today we produced X revenue, X EBITDA historically. And we believe the valuation, you know, should be a reflection of that. The future potential of that is something that we're going to work together with, or you're going to be able to, to, to grow with based on what we have in the pipeline for new product development today, right? But you don't know what people are thinking of what turns people on, turns people off. We always say, you know, no no preconceived notions, who am I to judge? We don't know we don't know until we get into a conversations with multiple buyers. Again, multiple buyers at the table at the same time gives you a greater opportunity to understand where they're coming from, if you like them, and then whether you want you want to go to that next stage, letter of intent, and then move into due diligence. Um, and then again, we're talking about this survey that uh, uh, results of a survey from a number of professionals uh, over last year in, in in our field: merger acquisitions, investment banks, uh, PE firms, business brokers, other professionals that work in the transaction area, merger and acquisition space. So number you know number five on the list is 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 interesting because I think it's um, it's always asked. We do a Q and A session, you know, with our with our potential buyers. They get you know they get a conversation with us. They get our you know our memorandum on the business. It covers all this stuff that we're talking about in great detail. But they still ask the question, and we do a question and answer. You know, and one of the questions is, you know, what is uh, your revenue from repeat customers or reoccurring revenue? So, which is a good question. I mean, if you if you're a, P, a company that you know, whether service business or or a manufacturing company, uh, etc., and you have a consistent customer that's been a customer for several years that basically is on a you know a PO basis. They submit a hey, we want to hire you for for a six month contract, uh, or we want to be uh, you know we want to put you on a subscription and we want to, we want to pay you a monthly fee for the next three years uh, to provide us IT services, or we want to buy this product and, you know, we're going to issue a PO, right? But they've been a customer for a number of years. The buyer looks at that and says, you know, from an importance perspective, you know, it's, it's, it's a high level of importance to get a satisfactory answer back to a buyer pool. Now, again, depending on the buyer, it depends on how much they're comfortable with your answer and how you run your business. And again, 
if it turns out that they don't have that high comfort level, they may fall off out of the bidding process, out of our auction process, and not and not be one of the parties that gets a seat at the table to meet with you. Um, so, in looking at that, there's a lot of ways to um, you know kind of break that down uh, from our perspective, and a lot has to do with that kind of stickiness factor you have with your client, right? Specifically in manufacturing, as you relate to uh, uh, you know, aerospace, medical, things like that, where you need to be qualified. And what we see a lot with our clients is that the larger, you know, tier one suppliers, whether whether it be a Siemens or a, a Honeywell or a Pratt and Whitney or a GE, they place a lot of reliance on their supplier base, on their your internal engineering and quality people, to provide the service needed to get the product out the door. So. And sometimes you're you're actually in their systems, right? You're actually physically, day to day, in their systems, monitoring inventory levels, so you can you can actually produce the product to meet their to meet their high and low standards, what they need. It's not it's very common these days. So if you have that kind of deep stickiness factor, it's your customer's not going to want to move the product. You may be you may be sole sourced in this product, right? Or you may be one of two parties that produce it, but you're the preferred vendor and they have another party because they have to have a backup supply. But for them to move that part or assembly or whatever out of your business is a huge undertaking and huge cost for them. And it's not going to happen overnight. So, you know, that repeatability of business you know, reoccurring business, you know, that's with software and MS, you know, uh, managed service providers on the, on, on the technology space. You have a three-year contract. We charge you X per month or it's a licensing deal. That's one thing. But when you have a product that you're selling, um, that you've been doing this for years and years under a uh, either long-term agreement with your customer or even a PO basis, how you answer that question and how, what, how buyers perceive that is important. And so we, we talk about that stickiness factor uh, during conversations we have with potential buyers. We talk about that stickiness factor with our clients. Uh, we talk about that st stickiness factor during management presentations when they do get a seat at the table. And the, the question is, are they comfortable with that or not? Again, there's a lot of people out there right now. There's a lot still, even though we're in a market which is, from a lot of people's perspective, quote-unquote uncertain. There's a ton of money out there. And so buyers are out there, you know, trying to engage in conversations. You know, as whether doing it in good faith or doing it just to get business, just to have a conversation, just to meet their quotas that I need to talk to 25 business owners this week or whatever, right? It doesn't matter. Your phones are ringing. You're getting emails. You're getting letters. Hey, we want to buy your business. We have someone interested in buying. I mean, I'm getting it myself. I, I got someone dropped me uh, uh, through our, our our contact form last night. Hey, we got buyers for your business, and we've sold X amount of companies. You know who are these buyers? You don't know who they are, right? So, are you? As an analogy, what's the phrase a buddy of mine told me once? He says, "Are you going to get in a car with someone you don't know?" to drive you to one of the most important decisions to your in your life, not knowing how you're going to get there? Or are you going to take control of the situation 
and you're going to drive the process or have Osage or someone like Osage drive the process on your terms to get to where you want to go based on what your goals and objectives are. And so when you look at these things that we're going through here with the buyer getting to an LOI, a lot of buyers are going to fall off the wayside. And if you're engaged one-on-one with one buyer, as we say, one buyer is no buyer, uh, and we'll continue to say that phrase because we truly believe it, you need to test the market you know, to get the best value that's the right fit for you. I mean, you're at the one-yard line. You've had your company 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more, first, second, third, fourth generation in some cases. You owe it to yourself to make that investment in the time and, and hiring someone like Osage and a good team to get you over the goal line to get the deal done that f- works for you and your family. So all these things we're talking about, just get to LOI stage, you're going to find a lot of buyers kind of kind of fall off the wayside because they don't have a comfort level for whatever reason. I mean, the next one on the list is, you know, strength of your management team. And it's it's really important um, factor, right? I mean, if you're uh, owner of a business and you're head of sales and you're head of production and you kind of run everything, a buyer coming in, hey, you've done your, you, know, you have your secret sauce. Uh, you've done 15, 20 million a year. You've done three, four million EBITDA, whatever the number, million, whatever the number is. But what happens if you walk away, right? The answer is um, almost every company is going to want to have some kind of transitional period. And depending on the buyer, it may be six to 12 months. Say it's a strategic buyer, corporate buyer, someone that's in your space that's got a, got a national sales director. They have regional sales directors. They have territorial sales managers and they have salespeople. They're not so concerned about you have a one or two people that are in sales, including yourself versus maybe a private equity firm that's trying to get into your business. You know, they like, they come to you and say, Oh, you're doing 4 million EBITDA and you're doing 20 million. You're right in our strike zone. We love this business. But when they get into it and start having a conversation with you, they realize that there's only one or two people that are really key to making to driving that profitability. They they're either going to walk away, or they're going to make tie you into the deal. I mean, they're going to ask you to participate, roll equity, stay with them, help grow it, and you're going to run your own business again with them as a partner. And that may be great. We have a number of clients that love that concept to grow it. Second buy the apple really works for them. It's a uh, a terrific a terrific way to take some money off the table. Um and diversify your portfolio, take care of your family, um, and then you grow it for the next three to five years and you sell out with them and you you get a, another payday. We have a lot of clients, they don't want to do that. You know, I'm 70 years old. I don't want to work another three to four years. I've been through the gauntlet over the last three to four years and I'm tired. Uh, I'm ready to make that move. So engaging one-on-one with a buyer like that is not going to get you where you want to go. Uh, because of the fact that they need you, right? And you don't want to be there uh, for long term. I mean, everybody has to go a transition period. It could be one or two years. But the fact that they want you to reinvest in that business is not something you want to do. So having that conversation with them, spending maybe a couple of weeks, you get them information, you go through this, you go through that, everything, you're stressed out, you're trying to keep it close to the vest because you don't want people to know, you know, anxieties are up, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, well, you meet the profile, but your management team is too weak. 
right? That's not the kind of buyer for you. That's why we do what we do. That's why we run our process. That's why we go out to multiple parties because these type of buyers are going to fall off. We just, we have a deal right now where, uh, you know, we got a number of, of, of bids. We, we do a bid process first to see what the value range are. And then based on the bids, we invite, you know, we sit with our client, invite them to the table, uh, to management meetings. It, one of the, we specifically said in our book, and we always have a section on ownership, transition goals and objectives. Our client wants to work under a mutually agreeable two-year employment agreement and then retire. He's 68. One of the bidders came back and want, wants him to roll 30% equity. And it's like, and we went back. He's not rolling 30% equity. It's not. Can you, can you do, can you restructure it in a different way? And we may, he may want to, may, may make a minor investment in the business, but not at 30%. That's just not something that he's prepared to do. And we explained that to you not only in our book that we put out, but also in the question and answer document, we have a section, Ownership, Transition, Goals, and Objectives. And we specifically said what his objectives were. But, you know, the buyer came to the table looking for an equity role. Now, get granted, going through a process, depending on the age of our client, depending on their desires, long-term goals, they may change during a process. You know what? I kind of like this. Maybe I'll do that. But in this case, no. So if you were engaged with somebody, you met their, everything on the financials met the profile, but they need you to stay on. You spend a lot of time on something that's, you know, stressed you out. And it's not going to get you anywhere. And you got to restart the whole process again. So you got to be concerned. So getting to LOI stage, understanding these things is really critical. Um, you know, there's a number of other factors. Um, and I'll just, just kind of run through them that kind of in this, uh, in this, um, uh, you know, survey, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, low customer, uh, customer concentration, always an issue. Um, your brand, your reputation in the marketplace. If you're, you know, depending on your product, it may not come up unless you're a consumer product and you actually have a product you sell with your branded product. But if you don't, your brand recognition is going to come up anyway in due diligence. The, uh, Buyers are going to spend a lot of time uh, in what I call, you know, your customer's happy. You know, keep it like that. So, um, you know, how much time are you willing to stay post-closing? You know, things that had minor input, like the location, geographic footprint. You know, most buyers, it's not a major concern. And then, of course, depending on the kind of product you make, you know, uh, do you own the IP, your patents, things like that. You know, if you are a producing a product or assembly or uh, machining a piece or you're in the, you know, I, you know, your service provider, it may not, that, that may not be critical. If you're a bio biotech company or a pharma company, that may be very important. So in closing, I think it's important to really test the market because getting to the LI stage is going to be dependent on a number of factors and, the buyer profile is going to determine who and who not is going to step up and get your business and submit that letter of intent. And based on the letter of intent, is that something that's workable to you to go to the next step into due diligence and closing? So I want to thank you today again for uh, being with us for our, our podcast. Again, uh, my name is Keith D. I'm president founder of Osage Advisors. We are a boutique merger and acquisition firm working with business owners and their families with revenues of $5 million and up, looking to sell. This is our 22nd year in business. 
Uh, you can reach us at our website at osageadvisors.com. Uh, feel free to email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com or pick up the phone and give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Thanks again for joining us today and have a great day.